Um, Ephesians chapter 2, verses 11 to 22. Therefore, remember that at one time you Gentiles in the flesh, called the uncircumcision, or what is called the circumcision, which is made in the flesh by hands, remember that you were at that time separated from Christ, alienated from the commonwealth of Israel, and strangers to the covenants of the promise, having no hope and without God in the world. But now, in Christ Jesus, you who once were far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ, for he himself is our peace, who has made us both one and has broken down in his flesh the dividing wall of hostility by abolishing the law of commandments expressed in ordinances, that he might create in himself one new man in place of the two, so making peace, and might reconcile us both to God in one body through the cross, thereby killing the hostility. And he came and preached peace to you who were far off, and peace to those who were near. For through him we both have access in one spirit to the Father. So then you are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God, built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone, in whom the whole structure, being joined together, grows into a holy temple in the Lord. In him you are also being built together into a dwelling place for God by the Spirit. Great, Mel, thanks so much for reading the passage to us. Um, okay, I'm going to ask all of you to, to humor me for a moment. Um, and if you could, um, I'm going to take a snapshot of all of us in gallery view. So if you don't have your, your videos on, um, could you turn them on and just give a nice smile? I promise I won't put the photo on, on social media or post it online and I'll, I'll delete it after this talk. Okay. So just humor me for a moment. Um, if you, if you put your turn the cameras on and give a smile. Okay. Uh, give one, two, three and small. Okay. Brilliant. <laughs> okay. Thanks for humoring me for a moment. Okay. Let me put it on screen. Great. Okay. So that's it. Um, I know the first thing you're looking at right now is looking for yourself in the photo. Um, but in any case, uh, let me ask, like, how would you describe this group of people over here? Um, you, you might say that we are quite a small bunch. I'm fairly small today. Well, we're not tiny. Uh, we've maybe got about 15 to, to 20 of us, uh, but we are definitely not, not huge. Um, how else might you describe us? Uh, I guess pretty ordinary, uh, most of us. I mean, maybe you think you're extraordinary, and in that case, I apologize. Um, yeah, or my, you might say that we look a bit of an odd bunch, like different people from different ethnicities are quite uh, quite different. And maybe the thing that's most odd is, is the person who is speaking. Uh, he speaks in a funny sort of accent. You probably understand only 50%, I mean, hopefully more of, of what he's saying. Um, yeah, so what? how would you describe this, this bunch of people? Um, what you probably wouldn't say is that this bunch of people look remarkable or, or particularly impressive or awe-inspiring or powerful. Uh, maybe just a very normal, normal bunch of people. 
Um, in, in Ephesians, if the Ephesian church were to take the same, same photo, say they had Zoom, they obviously didn't, but say they had a Zoom chat and they had a gallery view and Aquila, which we met a couple of weeks ago, uh, took the same sort of gallery shot with the group of people. I would suggest that the, the picture would be pretty similar. Uh, a bunch of people, um, quite small group as well, quite a mixed bag of people, different ethnicities, from different social status and yeah and you the way you would you wouldn't describe these group of people would be people who are um, particularly remarkable or impressive or inspiring or powerful and you might have remembered over the past couple of weeks we've been exploring this concept of the power paradox and we see it here today and um, there's this group of christians that we are looking at in your screen right now looking extremely unremarkable uh, yet Paul prays in his prayer to the church that the Ephesian church and that we might know power at work toward us. Not just any power, but immeasurable, great resurrection power. That's in chapter 1, verse 19. And so the question that we need to be asking is how? Uh, in what way is this great power at work in us? Last week, we saw the power at work in individuals as the power brought individuals from death to life. And so we talked about the desire to, to live for Jesus, the desire to follow him instead of following the cause of this world is proof that we have resurrection power coursing through our veins. But this week, um, is, there, is, there more? is there more evidence of the power at work among us? And Paul today, he wants to say, he would say yes, but first, uh, he wants us to remember, uh, to remember something, to remember that we were separated and we are on point one of our handout. Look down to verse 11. Therefore, remember that at one time, you Gentiles in the flesh called the uncircumcision, which is made in the flesh by hands. Remember that you were at that time separated from Christ alienated from the commonwealth of Israel and strangers to the covenant of promise, having no hope and without God in the world. Paul says to remember, remember that we were separated. Um, the, the slight problem with asking us to remember that we were separated is that we, we can't remember. I mean, in what way were we separated? Well, the Ephesian Christians, they, they could remember because they would remember a clear distinctions of them being called the uncircumcision. Uh, but for us, and what does it mean for us to be separated? Uh, thankfully, the Bible is sufficient and it explains to us how. And it all starts in the beginning. Um, many of you guys know the story, how it starts. God creates the world in the beginning and things were great and uh, things were, were perfect. But remember, creation itself is not the ideal uh, rather, the ideal is life with God in the presence of God. God dwelling with humanity, God in relationship with humanity. As you know, uh, the, it didn't stay that way. And we saw last week as Adam ate the fruit that was symbolic of him rejecting the relationship with God. And as a result, there was physical separation, moral separation, spiritual separation, and death. 
And we saw last week as well, all humanity was under the devil, under the devil, following him, following the course of this world. But God in his kindness, he decided to restore humanity and he picked Israel as his chosen nation. And in the Bible, God makes a covenant with Israel and he describes that covenant as a marriage covenant. Um, he, in one sense, he, he marries Israel. And what happens after you marry someone? Well, you, you move in with the person. And that's what God did. He, he set up his home with them, his tabernacle or his, his temple. But the problem was that, um, if you remember, Israel was still under the devil. They were still messy and sinful. But God is a holy God. And so there were complicated rules and architecture to avoid the contamination between a holy God and a sinful people. Let me flesh out a picture of how the, the temple was designed. And you see that there was a court of the women. Uh, there was an outer court on which the priest could enter, the holy place and the holy of holies. Um, and the holy of holies was where the tabernacle, sorry, the Ark of the Covenant was, uh, the place where God's presence dwells. And only once a year, the high priest could enter the holy of holies. They had a relationship with God. Israel had a relationship with God. But albeit it was it was limited. It was a really limited relationship. But where where were we? Where were the Gentiles? Uh, we were outside, separated, um, excluded, alienated from the Commonwealth. We were without hope, far away. Uh, on this slide here, you you see a sign, um, and it comes from the museum in Jerusalem, and it's a sign from the Temple Wall. And it says that no foreigner, no Gentile shall enter the temple. And that sign was placed on the temple wall to prevent any Gentile from entering into the temple. So Paul says in verse 12, remember that you were at that time separated from Christ, alienated from the commonwealth of Israel, strangers to the covenant of promise, having no hope without God in the world. So remember that you, we, all of us, were separated. Uh, could it have stayed that way? Um, yeah, yeah, it could have, of course. Uh, there was no obligation on God's part to restore people. But it didn't stay that way. I'll be on point two. Look at verse 13. But now in Christ Jesus, you who were once far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. The resurrection power has brought us near. How did his blood bring us near? The, the next few verses from verse 14 onwards are pretty confusing verses. I think the best way to understand these verses is in three progressive movements. His death, his resurrection, and his proclamation. So firstly, his death, look at verse 14. For he himself is our peace, who has made us both one, and broken down in his flesh the dividing wall of hostility by abolishing the law of commandments expressed in the ordinances. Jesus in his death, he made Jew and Gentile one, breaking down in his flesh the dividing wall. The wall there, that the picture that you saw earlier, um, I think Paul is thinking of the temple wall that was, that was abolished, the dividing wall that separated Jew from Gentile. And in his death, 
he smashed down that wall, that, the wall that divided Jew and Gentile. But not only did he do, did he do that, um, he also abolished the law. Uh, by abolishing the law of commandments expressed in the ordinances. I think Paul here, he's not saying that the law is discarded or it's useless. Interesting enough, he quotes from the law in chapter 6, verse 2 in this letter. I think here rather what Paul is saying is that the law as a system to be reconciled with God is abolished. The, the Mosaic law, um, the, the Mosaic covenant, the means which the Mosaic covenant as a means to be reconciled with God is no longer valid. The old covenant is annulled. The new covenant is active. But his death smashed down the dividing boundaries. His death, uh, his resurrection. Look at verse 15b that he might create in himself one new man in place of two, so making peace, and might reconcile us both to God in one body through the cross, thereby killing the hostility. Instead of a divided humanity from the old man, Adam, uh, there was peace between Jew and Gentile. Jesus creates one new man in place of two. So gone are the ethnic differences, gone are the national boundaries, gone are the divisions that carve up our society. Gender, social status, your looks, your race, not two, but one. In his resurrection, he has created one new man in place of two. But the unity that he is creating is not just unity for unity's sake. Uh, Secondly, it has reconciled us to God in verse 16 and might reconcile us both to God in one body through the cross, thereby killing the hostility. So gone is the hostility with God. Gone is the enmity with our creator. Gone is separation from him, a new humanity with its creator in the garden. His resurrection has created a new human race. His death, his resurrection, and thirdly, his proclamation. Look at verse 17. And he came and preached peace to you who were far off and peace to those who were near. Uh, You might be wondering when did Jesus preach peace? In what way did he preach peace? Uh, It could mean that as he commissioned the apostles to go to the nation, to preach peace to the nations, he, Paul could have meant that. But personally, I, I think he is specifically referring to the days after the resurrection. Uh, if you remember, the first words that Jesus spoke to his, his disciples were, peace be with you. And that is Jesus in his resurrected bodily form, proclaiming peace to his disciples. A piece here I would suggest probably the first from the piece in verse 14. In verse 14, I think the piece refers to peace between Jew and Gentile. Whereas in verse 17, the piece there refers to peace between us and God. I think the point is this, that it is the resurrected Jesus in his resurrection form that preached peace to the people. And the result, uh, we have peace. Access to God our Father. Because 
of the peace is not only our God, but he is also our father. So we have access not of a creature to a creator, but of a son to his father. His proclamation of peace has brought us near. So this week, we are still trying to work out how the, the resurrection power is at work in us. And I hope we've seen the resurrection power actively working in each step. The death that broke down the divisions, the resurrection that created a new humanity, and the proclamation in his resurrected form giving us access to God. See, the resurrection power has brought us near. And, and you might ask, is this true? Um, is this... Um, is there evidence that it actually happened? Um, and I, the answer is, is yes. Uh, let me show you the evidence. Um, that is the evidence that it did actually happen. Uh, you see racial lines being broken down, national lines broken down. And we started this meeting by, by praying. I'm praying to the Lord Jesus, praying to our Father. See, far from being an odd bunch, uh, we have the resurrection power pulsing through us. Uh, Douglas Murray is a political commentator. Um, he wrote a book recently, I think last year, on the title, The Madness in the Crowds. And on, in that book, he, he writes on the tripwire issues that divide our society, issues of sexuality, gender, and race. And it's a really fascinating analysis of how these cultural wars are rife in our society today. Uh, it was a really good book, but I found the last chapter really lacking. And his last chapter was on solutions. And some of the solutions that he suggested to deal with these issues were, have, were to be having more one-to-one -one interactions with people, um, have respectful conversations, and being more generous to one another. See, the, these virtues have been extolled by the British culture for for a long time, uh, yet we still see these issues rife in our society because the issues, they run much deeper than that. And they're issues of pride, of envy, and greed. And the only solution is a recreation of humanity uh, where these lines no longer exist. Um, his solutions, the solutions that Douglas Murray suggested, are like stapling grapes to a withered vine. Your company's diversity policy uh, is no different. Um, it's like putting plaster on a severed, a severed leg. And not that, not that these solutions are necessarily bad. They just don't come close with dealing with the issue. Um, how do you solve issues like George Floyd or Ahmad Arbery? You need death and resurrection. You need a new humanity. Now, what you need is to make two one. So how has the resurrection power been at work in us? Well, the resurrection power has brought us near. But how near, you might ask? Are we on point three? And we're reaching the climax of our passage. Look at verse 19. So then you are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God, built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone, in whom the whole structure being joined together grows into a holy temple in the Lord. In him, you also are being built together into a dwelling place for God by the Spirit. There are loads to unpick in these verses, uh, but 
in the essence of time, let me just try to point a few things. I noticed the change of the before and after. Uh, before we were strangers and aliens. Now we are no longer strangers and aliens. Once we were outside the Commonwealth, now we are fellow citizens. Once we were separate, now we are built on the same foundation. Once we were without God, now we are his temple, his dwelling place. We are his temple, his dwelling place. And I'm, I'm not sure if, if we have grasped the significance of the fact that we are his temple or his dwelling place. Remember, we were on the outside. And we were excluded. We were outside the temple walls. But we, the, the walls were broken down. And we entered in to the outer court. Uh, we passed through the gate to the court, to the outer court, into the holy place, through the curtain, into the holy of holies. So let me put up for you a slide. Uh, this is my best animation effect. Uh, that's what happened. Uh, we move from outside all the way in to the Holy of Holies. How near are we? Uh, we are the Holy of Holies. We are his temple. We are his dwelling place. We are where his presence dwells. In verse 21, uh, in him, you also have been built together into a dwelling place for God by the Spirit. And I think that's the main point of our talk today. We are his temple. See, this passage um, is, is one that's often quoted for uh, to help us to see the unity that we have in, in church. And I think that's definitely right. And we did spend some time reflecting on the unity that we have amongst the body of Christ. But I think the climax of this passage, the punchline, is that we are his dwelling place, his temple. Uh, we are the place where Moses, where the, the glory of the Lord filled the tabernacle and it was so glorious that Moses was unable to enter in. In the consecration of the temple, when Solomon consecrated the temple before the Lord, fire came down of heaven and filled the Holy of Holies and Solomon couldn't go in because God's glory filled the temple. And that's us. We are that holy place. We are the dwelling place for the presence of God. You see, how has the resurrection power been at work? Well, it has brought us near, so near. We are in the Holy of Holies. We are his temple. And so, and this picture here that I, I took before at the start of this talk, um, nice smiling faces, um, this is the temple of the creator God. This is where his presence is. This is where his spirit dwells. Uh, we are precious building blocks of the temple, precious jewels which line the walls, jewels of emerald, onyx, and fire. And we are his temple. And of course, it's not just us. Uh, it's, it's your local church. Um, it's, it's Christians all around the world, uh, Christians from India, from Russia, from Mexico, from China, from Nigeria, all around the world and through the ages. We are his temple. A few reflections as, as we close. Um, it's, it's worth making quite an obvious point that God's presence, it does not reside in, in buildings, but in, in people. 
So the concept of going to a place to experience God um, is just wrong because it puts us back on outside, outside of the walls. And that's, that's not right. And it can be damaging because we can cause us to feel that we are distant from God, which is, which is false. There is no closer place than the Holy of Holies. And that's where we are. We are there in the dwelling place of God. And that is why this Zoom call that we're having now um, is the temple of God. Uh, it's, I mean, there are very good reasons, um, say when this whole crisis is over, there are very good reasons to, to meet together face to face, very good biblical reasons. But we are not less of his temple on Zoom than in the Swiss church. Maybe one more impl- implication. Uh, if we are his temple, and that should affect the way that we live. And if we are the holy of holies, that should affect the way we live having holy lives. It should affect the way we relate to one another as fellow building blocks of the temple. But more on that in the second half of the letter. Remember the first half in this letter is to know. Um, and to know that the resurrection power has brought us near. Uh, to know that we, that we are his temple. And maybe for this week, it's worth uh, thinking and reflecting on this, this idea that we are his, his temple, to, to grasp how precious it is, to reflect on what a privilege it is. Um, many of you may have meetings with, during your work, talking about the future of energy consumption in, in the, the global world or the future of how the financial markets might progress and the future or the future of the economy. And all, they all sound like to be really important meetings, but the epicenter of God's activity is found in his temple where his people gather together under his word. So maybe take this week to just reflect on it. Uh, what does it mean um, if we are his temple? So at Common Garden Talks, uh, we are not an odd bunch of people. Uh, we are not a mixed bag of people with, with a similar interest. Uh, we are not a club. What we are is that we are nothing less than the temple of the living God. Verse 22, as we close, in him, you also are being built together into a dwelling place for God by the Spirit. Let me pray. Father, we ask that you may give us a spirit of wisdom and of revelation and knowledge of him we ask, Father, that we may have our eyes enlightened, that we may know the immeasurable great power that is at work right now in us. We praise you that in your kindness we are your temple, your dwelling place, and we do pray, Father, that you help us to grasp that more clearly. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.